0: And uh, you guys look a little different from right here. And I got to tell you, you sound different too. I and mean, we need to like switch one day, like make you guys come sit down here and just let you hear yourself. Uh, it's beautiful, beautiful to hear you sing. Um, I want to just start out by just by thanking you guys for whew, just being a body of Christ. trying to think of funny things that were just said to me that made me laugh so I don't get too emotional. Um, I was just told that Joseph Tucker said he uh, he brought his spiritual marshmallows because he knew my sermon was going to be fire. So, <laughs> Thanks, Joseph. That's helping me out. Um, you've been the body of Christ to my family and I, and, and you have no idea how or what you've done the past two years in our life, but uh, praise God for you. Keep being who you are. Um, yeah. Whew. Today we're going to um, gonna work hard. we got a big passage of scripture to look at, and uh, it's going to be good. So uh, like I tell my kids, let's turn our ears on and, and get after it today. Uh, we're coming to the, the end of a chapter, so we keep pressing on to the book of Acts, And I hope you guys have all been encouraged and wrecked by God's Word through this like I have. Um, Today, let's keep working and and see what the Word of the Lord is going to do. Let me pray for us, and we'll get rocking. Father, uh, Creator God, we just come before you um, just amazed that you would bring us together, uh, that you would call us to yourself, um, that you would work in our lives, Lord, uh, for our good, for your glory. Let your word and your spirit have its way this morning, and uh, Lord, let the gospel confront us where we're at, uh, so that we're sanctified and drawn closer to you, being better image bearers of our Father, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Acts 19 today, and uh, I want to kind of summarize what we've been through, what we've seen so far in Acts. And uh, if we're in the book, or chapter 19, that means we've covered a lot of ground, right? And the, the good thing is there's still a lot of ground to cover in Acts, so uh, stay buckled in. Let's keep rocking. Um, let's summarize what we've seen so far. We've seen the Holy Spirit-empowered preaching of the gospel. We've seen God's glory on display through the ascension of Christ and his call for us to make disciples. The promised Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Peter establishing the church. Paul's conversion, healings, demons cast out. We've seen repentance, mass conversions, missionaries being sent out, churches being established, stonings, imprisonment, freeing from prison, deaths, God's protection. We've seen God's word overpower the forces of evil, and we've seen entire communities give their hearts and way of life to Christ. We've seen God's work prevail And his mission continue to move forward. And something that's been consistent through all this is confrontation. Which leads us to the the title today of a sermon, Gospel Confrontation. What do we mean by that? I'm not talking about disagreement on the color of the carpet. Or how we should dress at church. uh, Even doctrinal issues. What I'm talking about is this confrontation that happens when the word of the Lord is being preached clearly, the Holy Spirit's empowering that, and the light brings brings out the darkness in our heart. When the word is dividing and exposing what we claim is our truth, but the truth brings out all those lies. That's the confrontation I'm talking about, and how that flows through our heart out into our way of life. Um, man, this is going to be good. It's going to be good confrontation is jesus's kingship coming to reign in your heart and in your life that's good news right jesus coming to reign in your heart calling us to surrender to his lordship and then whatever happens after that praise god praise god here's a question i want us to consider today what treasure do we hold tight Past few weeks we've seen the, the working of the Holy Spirit through Paul in Ephesus. He's preaching the Christ exalting gospel. And he's being faithful to what God's put in front of him, no matter what that means. He spends two years here in Ephesus doing ministry and, and what we just saw last week through Adam preaching about the sons of Sceva, these guys that tried to use the name of Jesus for their own gain. What happened to them? Y'all remember? They got whooped, right? Ran away naked. But Christ was exalted in that. And that leads us to where we're at today. The last passage of scripture we saw last week, this is what it says, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had uh, practiced magic arts brought their books together, and they burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. It was a lot. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pick up right there in, in Acts 19. We're going to be in 21 through drum roll. You're looking at this big, big passage right now and you're like, oh, that? I did the same thing. Here we go. Verses 21 through 41. Let's work hard right here. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also go see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades, and he said, Men, you know that from the business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture out into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, he was motioning with his hands, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, listen to this, for about two hours they cried out with one voice. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash, for you have brought these men here, who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess." If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. And there are for counsels, let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. It's the word of the Lord. Let's unpack this a little bit today. All right? There's there's a whole lot going on. It's a big text. We're going to focus in here on Demetrius. Okay? In order to do that, let's understand who Artemis is. Right? Artemis, she's a goddess. She's a goddess also known as as Diana, uh, the fertility goddess or the goddess of the hunt. And she was worshipped not just in Ephesus but throughout all of Asia and the rest of the world. That's what we're told. Her temple was massive all right a few weeks ago we were talking about athens and it was just a city of many gods right we had the parthenon there a whole lot going on there Uh, her temple was about four times bigger than uh, the parthenon it was huge humongous Um, we hear about this uh, stone that fell from the sky this was probably a meteorite that came down and and they claim that as affirmation of their their goddess So they build this temple, and and it's the the center of worship of the goddess Artemis, or Diana. Uh, Now, because of that, the temple was huge, extravagant. Um, This became like the center of their economy in in Ephesus. It was huge. They had these craftsmen there. Demetrius was one of them. These craftsmen were were making these silver shrines, these silver replicas of the temple of of Artemis. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, it was probably the original gift shop, okay? All you parents that hate gift shops with me, you're like, oh, went to probably went to worship Artemis, and the parents are giving this talk before they go in. We're going to go and do our thing. Don't have too much fun. Sanders, don't jump in the tank with the sharks. We're not doing that. And we're not buying anything in the gift shop. Got it. Or just intentionally leave your wallet in the car. Yeah. So these people would go to, to worship Uh, the Temple of Artemis, and the craftsmen, they'd build all these shrines, and and they would sell these to the people that traveled from all over the world just to to worship there uh, in Ephesus, and they would take these shrines back home, and and that's where they would worship Diana or Artemis uh, from their home when they weren't there at the temple. So this this temple is fueling the economy here in Ephesus, and it's just a a huge moneymaker. It was their way of life, and and, uh, you know, not just the, the temple, but when you have a lot of people coming from all over, they're spending money on other things as well. So uh, the temple is what drew the crowd there and, and caused this economy to boom. Um, then we got Demetrius. Who's Demetrius? Demetrius is a silversmith. Uh, he's making his living, his wealth, providing for himself and his family probably. Um, because of the, uh, the work he's doing with his hands, Making these shrines of, of Artemis' temple. And, uh, and, and here's where we get confronted with the gospel here. We're going to see Artem- uh, Demetrius confronted here. He's seen and heard how the gospel has impacted other people in their way of life, and he's not ready for that. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And Paul's message of the gospel is coming to his town, and he's very resistant. Number one, if you take the notes, like the points, number one is the gospel confronts. I love this quote from Tony Marita about this passage. He says that verses 23 through 41 is a vivid picture of what happens when people exalt Jesus instead of idols. Paul's gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting, spirit-empowered ministry impacted the local economy, and it caused an uproar. So what we need to understand from this text is it wasn't Paul or his companions that were going out and provoking this controversy. They were preaching the gospel. They were doing what Christ was putting in front of them and doing it faithfully. Paul wasn't out there poking people in the chest, arguing with people, claiming that he was right all the time, winning every battle. Paul was being faithful to what Christ had put in front of him. He was empowered by the Spirit. And because of his, his clear proclamation of the gospel, because he was accurate, because he was bold, because it was Spirit-empowered, results were happening. People were giving their hearts to Christ. They were surrendering to the kingship of Jesus. And because of that, their lives looked a lot different. Right? I mean, he had just heard about all these magicians burning their books. It's how they made their way of life. And he's probably going, are you kidding me? Do you know how much money you just wasted? Sometimes we look at people's decisions and think that same way, right? They not think this through. God's called them to something much more than (laughs) their way of life. He's called them to himself. See, this gospel that Paul was bringing to town... It's what was causing the confrontation. It causes this confrontation within us because it exposes our heart. It's this truth coming to bring out the lies and completely destroy them. Even when we think it's our own truth. You hear that a lot right now, right? Whatever's truth to you. I saw this documentary a few weeks ago, and this guy said, Well, I believed if enough people believed it, then it was actually truth. That's not truth. Truth is the word of the Lord, our Father, our God, the gospel being presented in its fullness in clarity. Truth that comes and exposes the lies of our heart, the idolatry in our heart. It causes us to be uncomfortable, it causes us to see that some things are going to have to be lived without because they cause compromise in our life and they may compromise the integrity of the gospel. Hebrews 4:12 says the the word the word of the Lord, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's piercing to the vision of the soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul's preaching the word of the Lord. It's piercing people. Caused them to to do crazy things like surrender to the kingship of Christ. Now think about this, what Paul had just preached in Athens, right? We already referenced Athens, city of all these gods. Paul had been there. And Demetrius has already said, like, we've seen and heard what he's doing. Like, what this message is doing all around us. In Acts 17, this is what he preaches to the men of Athens, He says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you were very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Put yourself in Demetrius' shoes right here, okay? His whole living comes from an idol, a God, a temple made by human hands. He is making these idols, these temples, with his own hands. He does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. An image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, Paul had been preaching this gospel clearly, accurately, boldly. And like Tony Marita said, it's, it's Paul's gospel-centered, Jesus-exalting, Spirit-empowered ministry that was making an impact. Paul was a part of that, right? He was being faithful. His disciples were being faithful. But it was the message of the gospel, the empowerment of the Spirit that was causing these results. Causing these confrontations and beckoning people to respond. Do I repent and surrender to the Lordship of Christ or do I reject it? Do I cause chaos and confusion around me and justify my idolatry? Paul is exposing that these people's treasure was in the created things and not in the Creator God. That had to cause confrontation. Demetrius did not want this coming to his town. Number two is the gospel is confronting Demetrius' way of life. Verses 25 through 27. It says, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and you hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not God's. And there is danger not only that this is this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. Now, what we see Demetrius doing here is he's trying to appeal to all these brothers around him that he's made a living with, and he's probably contributed to the fact that they're making a living because it says he calls no, uh, no, no little business in the town. So Demetrius, I'd like to think that Demetrius probably saw that his way of life, that his income, that what he has done his whole life was a good thing, All right, And he probably saw that the gospel coming to town was a bad thing coming to ruin a good thing. He was wealthy, he had money, and so was everyone else. And he knew that this gospel had come and caused threat to that, to his way of life, to his identity, to what he did. Church, many times we, we look at the good things in our life, and they may be very good things that we've been blessed with we turn them into these little G God things and they become king of our heart and our way of life so that's what Demetrius had done here it wasn't the idolatry of Artemis that was so prevalent in Demetrius's life he was using that to appeal to the emotions of those around him but the idolatry in his life was his job, his wealth he saw that all of that was at stake as he had seen so many people's lives change. If people stopped worshiping these gods made by man, what am I left to do? That's what I do. I make the gods out of my hands. This is all I got. The gospel was threatening to take that away from him. Church, what are those good things in our life that we hold so tight, that we treasure, that we possess in our hearts, that we turn into these little g gods. And they rival against the lordship of Christ in our life. Many things, it could be many things. It can be our job, it can be our way of life, it can be our, our kids, it could be our families, it could be our hobbies our identity? What are the good things that God's blessed you with that you hold so tight you're afraid to give them up? Maybe you're not called to give them up. Maybe you're just supposed to put them in the right place, in the right order. Jesus being king and these other things not. What way of life do we tend to try to protect At the expense of the gospel. At the expense of the the holistic gospel just living completely through us. and, And the gospel in our life causing confrontation in other people's life. That's what was happening with Paul, right? He was being faithful to the word, what God was doing in and through him, the Holy Spirit. He was just doing what he thought he was supposed to do. And his way of life was confronting other people, going, whoa, whoa whoa, not ready for that. Is it our money? Is it our kids? Is it possessions? What do we treasure so much that rivals the kingship of Christ in our life? We start to see this confrontation around us and what we're called to possibly give up, and we could have another Demetrius tendency here to look around us and say, hey, hey, this is wrong, right? This is bad. Let's, uh, let's stir up some chaos and confusion in, a, in an attempt to justify what we hold so tight. Do we do that? Third point here, guys. This is where it starts to hurt even more. <laughs> the gospel confronts our heart. Demetrius doesn't even realize it. But these other people that have responded to the gospel, that we're seeing results, these magic books being burned, their hearts is what they surrendered to Christ. And everything was flowing out of that. So Demetrius is so worried about all these materialistic things around him that he held on to that he could see that were external He wasn't even aware that it might just be his heart that God's coming after. Maybe he was, and he was just projecting it outwards. Man, I do that. God, I feel you working in me, but let's direct that somewhere else. Mm. See, the idolatry of Demetrius here, like we said, it was probably Artemis. I'm sure he was religious. But we see his heart in trying to defend his way of life so much that we can, we can pull out that his uh, his idolatry was about his way of life, his income. And that idolatry was, was rooted within his heart. Could be a multiple, or a list of multiple things here. Idolatry in his heart of greed, the wealth he enjoyed, just the fact that he had a secure income a way to provide. It could be a, a, an idolatry of fear, fear of what his life might look like or the pain he might have to go through of what's next. It could be king and lording over his life. It could be pride. I'm good at this. This is what I do. What am I going to do if this is taken away? It could be anxiety. Uncertainty. Church, do these things rule in our heart sometimes? So even though we are regenerate, regenerate believers in our Lord, we still have an idol factory in our heart that has a tendency to, to give more affection and attention to these idols that lord over us. And we can listen to them a lot more than we listen to the voice of our shepherd. I see a lot of heads nodding. You're feeling that? you understand that? We place these things in our life that are ruling in our heart equal to or above God, and, and that's not what the kingship of Christ is trying to do in your life. He's not looking to be equal or less than. The good news of the gospel is that He comes and He rules in your heart, He is the king. The decisions we make in our life flow from our surrender to a king, not a surrender to fear, a surrender to anxiety, a surrender to the unknown or fear of the unknown, or our own identity being our own God. See, I don't think that Demetrius even realized that his heart was the issue here. <laughs> he externalized it like we so often do. Now, we're told in this this passage, this long narrative, that that Paul was held back, right? He was held back from going and making a case. Don't y'all know that Paul was, like, ready to go? He was ready to go and pull the guns out and start start firing, right? Not literally. I mean, he was going to, to, he wanted to go preach the word, and I can't help but think here that Like we professed earlier this Philippians 3, I can't help but think that if Paul had a conversation with Demetrius, who's so hesitant to have everything taken away from him and surrender to God, he may have said something like he did in Philippians 3. See, Paul goes and he makes this this case in Philippians 3 that I was a Jew of Jews. Like I had it all going on. I'd spent my life to get to this point. And then this way comes about. This Christ comes about. These followers of Christ preaching the gospel. And that is a threat to everything I've fought my whole life for. Paul's way of dealing with that was he started killing people, right? He's killing Christians, trying to silence this movement. His life is being pressed in on. The Holy Spirit-empowered gospel preaching is pressing in on his way of life. And then we see that Jesus personally comes and presses in on his heart. Right? This moment of conversion where Christ comes and says, what are you doing to me? Paul gets a glimpse of the worth of Christ at his conversion. He sees the worth of Christ. And then we see that flow out of his heart in Philippians 3. And I believe this is what he would tell Demetrius. Like, if you only knew the worth of Christ, you would just give up everything. Nothing else matters. Yes, it's okay to have good things, it's okay to be secure in things. But is it Christ that is the possession of your heart? If it's not, then get rid of it, put it in its right place. Kill it. Repent of it. Philippians 3, 7-11 again. Paul says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish Church, Paul treasured Christ. He had been through so many things and was yet to go through all of it. And what we see in Paul's life, which is so beautiful in in church, it's what we're called to do is a complete surrender to the Lordship of Christ, saying, Father, whatever you have for me, whatever result of this decision to surrender to your your Lordship, your kingship in my life, Lord, let it be. Let it be so that the gospel is proclaimed and you're glorified. It can be a lot of different things, church. It could just be repentance of our idolatry in our heart, right? We need to put things in the right place. It could be killing a sin in our life. It could could be making life-altering decisions. It could be not allowing your kids to be your God. It could be enjoying hobbies, but not letting them rule over your life. It could be having your income, having your bank account, but not letting it be the king of your heart. There's many things in our life that are fighting to be God. And Lord, may we keep those in the right place. And may we exalt Christ as our King above all. Paul understood this. See, church, I believe there's many of us in here who've had to make big decisions in our life knowing that our way of life may look completely different than everything we've ever known. There's things that your good Lord, your shepherd's voice is telling you to do, and it may not make any sense to you or anybody else, but you know that it's Spirit-empowered, in church, can I just, can I testify to you that the Lord is faithful? He's so faithful. And in these life-altering decisions that you may have to make, if you haven't done it yet, you'll be presented with it. You may be going through it right now. The Lord is faithful. In the work that he will do in your heart, not letting you compromise the integrity of the gospel, for His glory, it's so worth it. Jesus is worth it. To get your heart in a place like Paul is and and be like, guys, it doesn't matter, it's so freeing to be on this side, it is, and so I hear you, Christ is my King and my Lord and He has been faithful in my life, the life of my family. And yeah, things are hard. Things are painful. But it's so good. Because our Father is so good. And to hear church you sing and what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. I was trying to tell myself those jokes. Thanks, Joseph. I was trying to use that. I was pinching myself. Because Church, when the Lord's done a work in your heart, you can't help but fall on your face at the worth of Christ. Recognizing that what a rich treasure we possess. It's worth celebrating. It's worth us looking at our way of life, our heart, saying, Lord, what is in here that needs to be removed? What do I need to kill? What do I need to reorder? Lord, where do I I go from here? How do I make that decision that's been keeping me up at night? You listen to the empowerment, you listen to the word of the Lord. You be sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you surrender to the kingship of Christ, not compromising anything, because the Lord is faithful. And he desires to be king. He is king. So church, we're going to close this out today and you know the gospel confronts us and, and doesn't just stop there. We've got this confrontation, and then, and then then we're left to deal with it, right? Do we uh, repent? And we surrender the kingship of Christ, allowing Him to sit on the throne that is rightly His? Or do we reject it, look around us for chaos and confusion, and justify our idolatry and continue to ignore what the Spirit is pressing in on your life and your heart? There's a couple of different ways we might respond to this, and, and how we're going to close this out is I'm going to go through a list of things. and. Throw a question up, and uh, it may be up there. It may just be when I say out. I'm not sure if we got it or not. But we sang this song earlier you know, how rich a treasure we possess. Jesus Christ our Lord. I asked that question what treasure do you hold tight to? And, guys, as the gospel presses in on your heart today, and probably on your life, whatever implications there are. Maybe you need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus today for the first time. Do that today. It's so worth it. Maybe you need to repent of the idolatry of your heart. Do that today, church. It's so worth it. Maybe you need to make some big decisions about your life, not knowing what the results may be. If the Lord is leading you to it, he's going to empower you to do it. It's worth it, church. Maybe you need to praise his name today because you are holding tight to Christ and you see the rich possession that you have. Do that today. Whatever the Holy Spirit is pressing in on you right now, respond to it. I want us to go back and consider this question that I asked at the beginning of the sermon. Because you know, the, the gospel, surrendering to the gospel, it means that Jesus is king of your life and you're not, and neither is anything else. So what is the gospel confronting you with today? What treasure do you hold tight to? we pray for us. The band's going to come back. We're going to sing a song and respond to that. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. We have pastors here. Maybe you need to just sit there and repent. Maybe you need to Just cry out, Lord, I possess you, how rich you are, whatever it is today. Lord, don't let your idle factory of your heart continue to be that. Let it be the throne of Christ. Christ is worth it. Father, we praise you for who you are. Lord, as we see all these tendencies in Demetrius that that we have, Lord, as believers and, and those who don't yet believe and follow, Lord, we all have a tendency to hold tight to things that are not you. Lord, may we surrender to Christ in all ways today because you're worth it. God, you're faithful. Let nothing... Lord, over our hearts, except for you. And Lord, whatever result comes of that, let it be for our good and your glory. Lord, how rich a treasure we possess in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us sing that today in response. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, church. Sing this in response to the word today. Our